Hi, and welcome to another episode of the ULI Toronto Electric Cities podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Warson. During the rush hour morning of January 30th, 2018, Toronto subway commuters were confronted with one of the worst crowds ever experienced at the Bloor Young subway station. It was dangerous and scary, and it amplified the ongoing discussion about the desperate need for a downtown relief line, along with major improvements to some of Toronto's busiest subway stations. But now, during these pandemic times, crowds like those no longer exist. Instead, the TTC is dealing with a dramatic drop in ridership, particularly along its once busy subway routes. This has imposed enormous fiscal strain on the TTC and has forced them to quickly readjust to our new reality. To learn more about the pandemic's impact on the TTC and what they are doing to respond, I'm joined by Stuart Green, the TTC's chief spokesperson. So Stuart, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, It's my pleasure. Yeah, and we're now about seven months into COVID, and I think it's fair to say that these are probably not the most enviable times for the TTC. Uh, You guys are facing incredible challenges on so many levels, it's hard to imagine how you're able to carve out a path forward to get through it all. But let's start with when COVID-19 hit back in mid-March, when suddenly the virus became a real concern. And a lot of the things we took for granted more or less shut down. What was TTC's initial reaction to it all? And and how did you guys respond? Well, I mean, uh, you know, as as anyone who uh, has been alive uh, and conscious for the last eight months will know, um, you know, this came upon us uh, quickly. um, And and it came upon us in ways that, you know, to this day, uh, we are still um, learning about, Uh, you know, when when. Our, our first course of action actually goes back to January. So before ever there were the, you know, the big shutdowns that came in March, um, before ever uh, people had stopped going to work, uh, we were already taking action, um, and, and we were doing that in the form of, of uh, vehicle sanitization. So uh, we were going into uh, our, our subway streetcars, buses, um, on a, at that time uh, once or twice a day basis, uh, and we were giving them a deep clean. We were spraying them with a with a, a disinfectant spray, a hospital grade spray um, that also has um, uh, is also used for for hand sanitizer and is also used in um, the wipes. So we would wipe down grab poles and and touch points, buttons and things in in subway stations and on on the buses. So uh, you know that that was something we started doing in January, late January. Um, so I guess in that regard, we were a little bit ahead of the curve. Um, but but you know it was it was sort of again at that time we were sort of looking at this thing saying okay you know there the, the signs are there uh, that you know that this could become something bigger than just uh, you know something that's restricted to uh, Asia and at the time Europe um, so we were we were ahead at that point uh, and then sort of from January in, until you know March when things uh, really shut down. Uh, we we continued that that protocol of cleaning um, and disinfecting our vehicles. Uh, again, it was you know something that we would do um, maybe not quite as frequently as we're doing it now, but it's something we would do during cold and flu season anyway, just to sort of give our vehicles a little bit of extra 
you know, protection or give our customers and our employees a bit of extra protection from, you know, common flu germs, uh, which would normally be present um, in the winter. So, um, so, so, you know, really for us, it was about uh, adapting. And so, so we did that, and then we sort of ramped things up. We got, we got a little more serious about our cleaning protocols uh, throughout January and February. Uh, and then in March, things shut down, and, and all of a sudden, the world changed for us. And by, by that, I mean that you know, we, we have daily reporting, uh, or pardon me, weekly reporting um, of our ridership, of, of our revenue. And um, the, you know, if you're looking at it as a, as a graph or as a chart, there is uh, the week of March 14th and that two-week period after that, um, it just plummets. So, for example, our, you know, our ridership went from what would normally be around 11 million people a week um, to, uh, you know, in the range of, uh, you know, a, a few hundred thousand. Wow. Um, yeah. So it was it was really uh, it was really stark. The, the the contrast was stark, and you know, unfortunately, that also meant revenue loss. So we were losing, you know, in round numbers, approximately 20 million dollars a week. Uh, in lost revenue in in those sort of darkest days and and those days go sort of mid March um, and we didn't start to see recovery until probably late June um, you know early July and so anyway so we we were faced with a very real prospect of you know dealing with uh, you know a a financial impact uh, you know which you know and and it's it's cliche to say now but was unprecedented um, and unprecedented I mean a drop that significant uh, and a drop that quick. Uh, so those things really hit us hard, as did the ridership. So now we're forced with having to make some tough decisions about how we're paying for the service we're delivering. And, and it's not even that we could just cut back service to, <clears throat> to meet the demand, because of course, you know, service in, in a pandemic also means giving people comfort of being able to distance. And, um, you know, we said very early on that, uh, you know, it was unlikely that we would be able to guarantee people, well, we, 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 it, we could not guarantee people, you know, six feet of distance at all, at all times on all vehicles, particularly on a bus network where we run smaller vehicles through busier parts of the city. And, you know, th- this is really important because, you know, the, the, the bus network for us is really our workhorse. Um, and they, they operate in areas of the city that do not have higher order transit. So they don't have streetcars, they don't have subways. Uh, you've got people who, you know, may, for example, live in um, northeast Scarborough who are going to work in, uh, you know, the northern parts of North York, and the entirety of their journey is on a bus. Yeah. Um, so, so, but, you know, so there was no way we were going to be able to give people six feet of distance on a bus, um, and we were quite honest about that. But we couldn't just simply cut our service um, to offset the, 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 the dramatic revenue losses because doing so would have meant just packing more people onto uh, vehicles at a time when when all of the advice was and still is that you try and maintain some some level of distance between yourself and another person so the you know there was there were a lot of uh, there was a lot of back and forth within our our service planning team and this is this is the part of the of the organization that decides how many buses go on to what routes at what times of day to deal with with uh, with passenger loads Public transit, as as anyone who is an urban an, an urbanist will know, is designed to move the most people in the shortest amount of time, uh, and it is planned uh, to to operate at crush capacity. Um, so on a bus, that's 50 people. Well, we you know in a pandemic you cannot put 50 people on a bus. 
you can, but it is not something that anybody would want to be on, nor would it, is it something we would be comfortable delivering. So anyway, so we had, to, we had to look at all of these routes, and we started doing, very early on, we started doing heat mapping. Where are our busiest parts of, of the bus network in particular? Where do we need to put extra service? Where are the lighter travel parts, and where can we maybe beg, borrow, and steal from elsewhere in the network to, to uh, replenish service in a busier part of the network and give people, you know, a, a bit more distance between themselves or each other. So that was all, was and is still very much being done in real time for us. You know, we're, we're lucky in a sense our buses have um, what is called automatic passenger counts, APC, and that allows us to see in a real-time basis uh, by, the, by the second, literally, how many people are on a bus. We see a bus route is getting busy. We see that there are suddenly five buses on Jane that have, you know, 20 people on them. We need extra buses on Jane. So we've got now what are called run as directed vehicles where we can put those into the areas that, that are where they're needed at, uh, at, the, at, the, at the time they're needed. So uh, a lot of flexibility there. So it's, it's, you know, it's really been, I mean, this is, you know, I'm, I'm sort of chatting a lot about sort of the, the service planning as it goes into bus, but bus has really been our biggest challenge throughout this. And, and it's something that, you know, uh, really reminded us um, just how important the bus network is to public transit. You know, you, you referenced off the top of the show, uh, quite rightly so, the, the crowding that, we, that occurred uh, on that fateful January morning when we had a, we had a signal and track down issue. Um, I was know, there. That, I remember it was, it was terrifying. Right. It, it, it was, it, it, it could be scary. Now, you know, we do not have that level of ridership now. You know, at the time, Young and Bloor Station was putting through about 28,000 people an hour at the busiest times of the morning. Um, that is no longer the case. You know, that number is probably, you know, a quarter of that now. Um, but again, our busiest times are no longer our busiest times because the ridership is sort of spread out throughout the day. The typical rush hours are gone. But, but um, anyway, what I was going to say is that the, the, the bus network uh, really um, has revealed itself to be, you know, uh, <clears throat> the workhorse, the, the most important part of our network, um, and the part that, that really needs our attention the most uh, at this time because those parts of the city that rely heavily on, on the bus network are, are generally speaking parts of the city that are uh, lower income. They're a little more marginalized. Not everybody has three cars in those neighborhoods. Uh, people are, are hugely reliant on public transit. So, uh, and, and, you know, we know this, not, not just anecdotally, but we know it because we've been doing surveying. Um, and, and, you know, it has shown us why people are riding. They've told us why they're riding, because they have to. They don't have another choice. And because they're working shift work, they're working in jobs that have been, you know, incredibly important in the early days of the pandemic. You know, we had, uh, as I say, we were at about 15% of our normal passenger loads in, uh, in, in that March-April period. Um, and those were people who were going to work in hospitals. They were going to work in grocery stores. They were going to work in keeping the food chain going. They were going to work, uh, uh, they were going to appointments. They were doing things that they absolutely had to do that, you know, others may take for granted because they could just hop in their car and do it. And they, they really relied on transit. So that is, uh, you know, that's really been the, the, the telling thing about all of this for us is, um, is, is really the, the importance and the significance of the bus network in, in Toronto and, and, you know, in other cities in the world, too, because that's what buses do. They fill in the gaps where the higher-order transit doesn't go. Otherwise, you would just have subways running down every street, uh, stopping every five seconds. It would be completely, you know, highly inefficient. So, so the, bus, the buses are incredibly important. So, uh, you know, from an urban planning perspective and from a, from a city's perspective, um, you know, it was really interesting to see 
just how you know those parts of the city that were still you know experiencing high bus ridership uh you know they weren't they weren't riding buses because they wanted to they were riding buses because they needed to and that really was a, a stark reminder to us that we needed to be there for them uh, and I, I think in that sense we've been able to deliver yeah and you, you've you certainly taken um You've sort of jumped into the, the that, that question about this contrast between um, bus ridership and the rest of the city. Um, there's certainly anecdotal evidence about crowded buses, uh, you know, photos of buses on Jane Street. Um, and you contrast that to the the subway network, particularly you know on the on the young line, and a lot of those commuters on on the subways are are office workers, and the office workers like myself have the 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 comfort and the privilege of being able to work from home. I'm wondering if you have um, just I guess for our listeners um, just a sense of how the ridership numbers have changed from before COVID to, to, to where we are today and, and how that may, might break down between these two very distinct uh, contrasting types of ridership cohorts. Yeah, I mean, you know, typically, um, you know, if, if you look at the, the, the modal breakdown um, of, of, of our system, um, I, I can just walk you through some numbers. Um, it, you know, if we look back at, say, uh, the first week of March, um, before things really shut down, our our ridership was around, um, and this is based on on Presto taps. We were seeing around 230,000 on streetcars, 750,000 on bus. So there's a big difference right there. And then the subway network is around 730. Um, but you know the, the subway network moves a slightly different um, group of people, as you say. That's people who are primarily focusing, you know, uh, into the downtown core. You know, the, you think of the subway network. Our, in particular, the subway network in Toronto, uh, Line 1 is shaped very much like a, a funnel, um, a, a, as it is literally funneling people from, you know, the north, mm-hmm. uh, west, and the north-central parts of the city, um, right down into the downtown core where, you know, there are, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of people working in, in, uh, in office towers. They're no longer there. So, um, so you, look at, you look at the subway network, it's moving, a, a, you know, less than bus. Um, but but not many not much less but, but but clearly bus was you know was was the workhorse so um, now you compare that to now um, and and we're looking at numbers on the bus network we're about uh, we're around half of that so we're around three hundred and three hundred and forty thousand people a day on the buses uh, around sixty thousand people a day on streetcars so that's a drop of around you know dropping down around thirty percent of our normal levels. Um, and, and subway is, is, uh, probably around 180, 190,000, uh, which would be around, you know, sort of the 35, uh, uh, range. So, so streetcar subway, 30 to 35%, bus 50%. That, that is a really telling story about the modal breakdown and how important the bus network has been. And have, I would have expected the subway numbers to have dropped even more, but have, have the numbers gone up on, on the subways and streetcars? Uh, well, they have since since March. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. No, but uh, I, I mean, yeah. If, if you look, if you look, if if we did, if we did a comparison, say, if we looked at, uh, you know, March, uh, you know, first week of March to the last week of April, uh, when everything was shut down, um, you know, that's where we saw the biggest drops, mm-hmm. and that's where we had, uh, you know, ridership that was. Uh, you know, like I say, around 15% of normal levels, you know, subway ridership and streetcars are probably around 10% of normal. 
bus was probably around 20% of normal. So, um, you know, certainly those numbers have come back up and, and, and they've really started to tick back up as things started to open. So as we started going through the, the stages of reopening, um, we, and we had anticipated this and planned for it, uh, that we would start to see riders coming back. So as businesses started to reopen, as people could make discretionary trips for, you know, um, non-grocery shopping trips, or as people could, um, you know, go out on weekends to restaurants uh, that were open um, in, in stage two and stage three, uh, we started to see those numbers tick back up. So, uh, but we've sort of flatlined now. So we're, we're now at a point where for probably the last, I'd say the last month, um, so through, you know, th- through, uh, through all of October and into November, um, we now know where we are because school is back, right? School was the next big marker for us. So as, as things started to reopen, there was the retail aspect, the entertainment aspect, um, and then there was the school aspect. So now we are where we are, and that's at around 36, 37% of normal ridership. We figure this is where we will be until there's another significant uh, reopening. Um, you know, so I know that the, you know, the, the provincial government today was talking about looking at um, you know, uh, revisiting stage two for Toronto, perhaps opening some more things up. Maybe we'll see a little tick there, but, but it won't be big. Uh, the, next, the next point in time for us will really be when people start going back to their, their office jobs and, and that kind of uh, ridership returns. One other segment I, I, I don't want to miss, and that is um, f- those who um, have disabilities and rely on Wheeltrans. Um, yeah. has, that, has the Wheeltrans service been impacted at all? It has, yeah, in, in much the same way. So right now, Wheeltrans ridership is, um, is probably uh, around 30 35% of normal. Um, but again, it, it, the, uh, you know, the, the, the interesting thing about Wheeltrans is that the, the, the movements and the patterns uh, in the drop in Wheeltrans bookings um, is consistent with what we've seen across the network. So there wasn't a, a greater or, or lesser uh, change in the travel patterns for Wheeltrans customers um, because, uh, it, it, or, pardon me, it was very much in line with the, with the, with the drop um, in terms of the percentile. The numbers are smaller because Wheeltrans uh, just moves fewer people. But um, an incredibly important service nonetheless. And of course, in the last couple of years, we've moved to uh, a slightly different model for our paratrans service where people are not maybe not doing their entire trip on Wheeltrans. Maybe they get a Wheeltrans vehicle that gets them uh, from, from their, their home or their place of work to a subway station, which is accessible, and they continue their journey on a, on a, on a subway and a bus. So there's been a slight change in Wheeltrans dynamic there just because We've opened up the system more as we make the system more accessible. Every every vehicle now, every bus, streetcar, subway is accessible, uh, and 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 around 48 or 49 of our subway stations are accessible. So that so that the Wheeltrans ridership um, has not has not suffered in any any different way. Um, and and we've con- again such a vitally important service to a lot of people, uh, and we've continued to deliver that service. Well, let's let's uh, get into the fiscal situation. I, I, I mentioned that in my intro, and you mentioned it as well. Yeah. We can dive a little bit more just to get a, a, a clearer picture of this drop in ridership and, and what that means for, for TTC fiscally and, and the kind of support that uh, you're getting, um, uh, I guess, fr- um, from various levels of government. Yeah. So, I, I mean, as I said, I mean, you know, at the, at, at the lowest of the low points in, in you know, um, April through you know May and June probably uh, you know we were we were losing 20 million dollars a week around 90 million dollars a month uh, we were losing in in revenue 
Um, so, you know, there's a whole other conversation that you can have about the TTC being the, the least subsidized and the most reliant right. on the fare box. Um, that, you know, those are policy decisions that I don't really want to get into, but, um, but, it, but it did really highlight that. Um, so, you know, if, if, if you look at, for example, if you look at, uh, you know, our, our revenues now, they are, they are down significantly, you know, probably 15 or $16 million a week. Um, that we're uh, that we're losing instead of 20 million a week. So that's good news in a way, uh, but it's still leaving us short. So, you know, the, the other good news on on this side is that the the provincial and federal governments have recognized the importance of public transit. They have said public transit gets money earmarked for it. You know, in the past or in a different world, maybe we were just part of the city's ask for um, for COVID relief and for financial support. Um, but but the, the, the governments, to their credit, have recognized that, the, that public transit specifically needs help. And so uh, we know that we've got right now phase one um, of the recovery plan uh, from the federal and provincial government gets us about $404 million. Um, through through uh, phase phase one, which gets us most of this year uh, recovered uh, in terms of lost revenue, and then there's a second phase um, that we will be applying into uh, that will round us out for the balance of the year and into next year, um, because of course we don't know yet what ridership patterns are going to look like um, in in two months, six months, a year. Um, so there's going to there's going to be a real need to sort of uh, have that have that reserve handy um, and that that operating support handy. Um, and, and, you know, as I say, it's credit because, you know, they've recognized that, you know, any part of a recovery plan um, from a pandemic uh, is going to require, you know, people going back to work and doing all those things that get the economy going. Uh, and public transit plays a massive role in doing that. Uh, you know, as we've already talked about, the number of people that rely on us uh, who don't have options, but then the number of people who, you know, who have options but still want to take public transit because it's, you know, it's quicker, it's cheaper. Um, they could drive if they wanted to. They could drive in from Scarborough, uh, but they would be paying for parking, but, you know, as opposed to, you know, a $3 subway ride. So, so anyway, so all of that, all of that is, is, is really important and that will matter. So we have some optimism um, when it comes to, you know, uh, phase two making us whole, um, you know, so, and not only is it lost revenue, um, you know, we've had to, we've had to incur extra costs, right? Like the, all of that extra cleaning that we started doing in January, that cost us that those were, these are things that we're unbudgeted for. Uh, you know, we've, we've got a comprehensive mask giveaway program that we've undertaken to give away a million masks um, to people who don't have them, particularly in, in the uh, neighborhood improvement areas, those lower income areas of the city where, uh, you know, we're working with the poverty reduction office, city poverty reduction office to get mass out there. Um, you know, th- there's a whole, there are a whole number of things that we have done differently, uh, not just beyond just running a transit service in a pandemic, um, you know, to keep the service safe, to keep, uh, to keep the system moving and to keep as many people, uh, you know, get as many people physically distanced as is possible. Um, and so, so that's come at a revenue loss, but, uh, but also, uh, you know, an additional cost perspective. And have you, has the TTC attempted to reduce those costs by reducing number of vehicles on the road? Uh, obviously less, I, I'm assuming less, less, uh, subway cars on the tracks. Uh, has yes. that, has that helped at all? Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely uh, we definitely did uh, a number of things uh, that, that, that would be deemed cost containment. So, uh, you know, in April, we made the very difficult decision to lay off 
uh, a number of employees. Um, it ended up being around 450 operators that were, were laid off temporarily. Uh, we had always said it was temporary because we knew that ridership would come back. Um, but we, it was it was getting harder for us to justify full service when our ridership was at 15 or 20 percent of normal. Um, so we we had we had figured out that there was a way that we could save a bit of money. Uh, it wasn't everything that we needed to save um, because we also needed to deliver service. But we could save a bit of money and continue to deliver service uh, to people who really were relying on us. Um, and you know, it was it was a decision that we had to make to um, uh, you know to to address safety and to address the financial reality. So we did that. Uh, we as of this weekend, um, we are we have we are recalling the last group that were that were remaining on layoff, but 179 people who were still laid off, they will all be back. So uh, we had always, but we had always been clear about this. We had always reported through our board and to the city that you know we would we would as best possible match service with demand. As as demand dropped, we would drop service. Um, but keeping in mind that we had to give people some physical distance too. It wasn't just we could cram 50 people on a bus, as I said earlier, we needed to still, you know, address those safety concerns and give people comfort and give our employees comfort, most importantly, because they, they are on those vehicles, you know, all day. So, um, so we did do some cost containment. We, we, we froze some hiring. Uh, there were some salary freezes that were introduced for, for senior, uh, senior um, employees. Um, there was, uh, as I say, a hiring freeze. We put a ban on travel before travel was literally banned. Um, and, and we did a lot of those things to try and you know, offset uh, our revenue losses and the extra costs we were incurring. But it's nowhere near enough to fill the entire gap of our lost revenue. And, and we were very clear about that. We have been we have been accounting for it. We've you know we've been doing it line by line in all the all the ways that we've had to spend money during the pandemic. And that going back to what I said earlier about the importance of federal and provincial governments, you know, giving us that assistance, recognizing public transit is important, uh, you know, essential really to the recovery plans for for a city like Toronto. So, what what additional measures is the TTC implementing to try to get people back on the system and and i'm i'm not so much thinking about those who um absolutely depend on the ttc and namely those uh those bus routes but people who um have the option of of going back to work a lot of a lot of offices downtown have their um health measures and play their protocols in place but i think there's still a sentiment out there about with a lot of office workers that it's that you know the home is safe and the office may be relatively safe but that that um, transition getting on the subway um the perception that you're on a subway possibly a crowded subway standing close to a stranger um, how do you overcome that and, and to try to get people back on um, on the subway routes? Yeah, I mean, in fact, that that is very much on our radar. We do um, just before I, I sort of go into the detail. We we do um, customer sur- satisfaction surveys um, on a regular basis. What we've done is we've pivoted uh, the way we ask questions now to ask people things like. You know, how would what would make you comfortable coming back on the subway? So we would break it down by, you know, previously frequent um, public transit users, uh, TTC customers uh, who are no longer taking uh, transit because maybe they're working from home. Um, but, but and, and then if they're not, uh, why, you know, uh, what are they doing? So we have a very we do a very deep dive in our customer base and trying to understand. And what we found is that 
half about 50% of people that we surveyed that were that that would have the option to take transit not not needed to take transit but that would you know have the option to take transit whether it be for a, a you know a discretionary trip like you know a, a night out or uh, or going to the office about half of them said uh, they they wanted to feel comfortable coming back. Um, they they would come back when they felt comfortable and safe. And what that looked like to them was you know a, a, some some distance, uh, you know clean vehicles and uh, you know mask wearing. That was very important. So these are all things that we took into account when we took our steps. So what we've really been trying to highlight to people is that you know we 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 acted early on the clean vehicles, but we didn't stop there. Uh, you know, we continue to run service. We continue to run, focus service and deliver service, uh, over-deliver service uh, on routes that were very, very busy. So you would, you could, you, you know, you had some level of comfort getting on the TTC that you know that, that it wasn't going to be like the old way of riding the the bus or the subway. Um, we 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 really we've really talked about that. We made masks and face covering mandatory um, in uh, in July. Uh, we were a little bit ahead of the curve on that as well uh, in terms of when the city did it, but. But really, it's about giving people uh, that comfort uh, to, to know that we are taking it seriously. The, the, but the, the, the single biggest thing that's in our favor is that as recently as, as, this, as this week with the uh, Toronto City Council meeting, uh, Dr. Eileen Davila was asked about, you know, potential transmission on tr- public transit and on buses, and there's none. Uh, th- there is no evidence to, to suggest either in Toronto or anywhere in the world that public transit is a super spreader. And the working theory that we have, and, and I, I, I don't mean that in the sense that we can rest on our laurels and just be comfortable that that's the way it is. There, there's, there's strategy that makes that so. But, but, but really what, what it is is just the nature of public transit. It's not a, you know, it's not a Thanksgiving dinner with, with 30 family members. It's not a bar where everybody's drinking. Um, public transit is people sitting quietly, generally traveling on their own, faces covered now they've got their masks on they're sitting quietly you know playing games on their phone or reading books doing whatever they're not they're not speaking and and doing those things that that contribute to transmission so you know that that is you know that's scientific fact that's just how people ride public transit they don't you know if their faces are are covered and they're not speaking the transmission risk becomes very low what about on a what about on a crowded subway i mean my my uh my strong recollection, and if you can call it a recollection, it's been seven months of being on <laughs> right. a subway is, is being jammed up against other people, um, you know, sharing a, a you know, the handle or a pole and, and being right up against them. And the, that perception yeah. is, is pretty hard to kind of overcome when you're, you know, even with Dr. Davila's comment, uh, sure, in a perfect world if everyone has a seat and they're, you know, they're keeping to themselves, that, that may be easy to fathom. But the reality yeah. is if we want to get back to those ridership levels. Um, yeah. So, 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 I mean, I, I mean, a couple of things I would say to that is that, you know, first of all, we are not getting back to that 1.7 million trips a day until there's a, there's a vaccine and all of the places of business in the, in the financial district have reopened and everybody is back at work. Those numbers are not going to return until that happens. I think at that point, you know, we can look at history. We can look back to the, you know, the the the, the flus of the uh, of the 1918-1919. You know, within a couple of years, things went back to normal. We expect we will get there. There will be a day. Uh, let's make no mistake. There will be a day where you'll be getting back on pa- back on packed subways. Um, you know, potentially without masks on because the pandemic is over. 
we all look forward to that day, believe me. In a weird way, I look forward to getting on a jam, and I take the transit, I take it every day, I look forward to getting onto a jam-packed subway because it means things are back to normal. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, that, that will be a real marker. But so right now, but the, that just isn't the case right now. We know through our passenger count systems that, you know, 90 to 93% at last count of all bus trips are less than half full. So there are there there are a small number of bus trips, you know, six seven percent of bus trips where where there are more than twenty five people on a bus. Yes, it's not ideal, and and that's why we send extra service out there. But no one is riding those really jam packed vehicles anymore. Um, there are yes, there are cases where vehicles look busy. Um, you know, if there are twenty or even thirty people on them, and we try and keep that to a, you know, we try not to allow that to happen, but it does from time to time. Um, but you know, the reality is again, you know, even if you have say, 15 people on a bus, uh, which, you know, is probably people standing, you know, a few feet apart. Um, they're, they're quietly sitting quietly they're, they're, with their faces covered. Um, you know, anybody that's been on the system, I think, you know, they, they sort of instinctively feel a little safer. Plus, we just know more about the virus now. We know more about the, the, the pandemic. We know more about how it, how it transmits. Um, and, and so there's that education that's happened as well. So, you know, it's, it's really, but, you know, ultimately, as, as Dr. Davila and others have said, you know, it's ultimately about people's comfort and risk factor. Um, you know, we, we strongly, we, we cannot stress it enough. You know, if you're feeling sick, do not get on public transit, no matter what, even if your face is covered. Um, so, we're, so we're not, you know, I, again, I'm still taking public transit every single day. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I, I can speak from experience and I can, I can say from numbers that, you know, we're not seeing that kind of crowding. People that are on there are being very respectful of each other's space. Uh, you know, people are spreading out as best they can. They're giving each other room. Um, it's a very different kind of experience on public transit these days, on, um, and not just the TTC, but I'm sure anywhere in the world. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of, uh, you know, of, of mutual respect and, and understanding that we're all in this. This isn't just, you know, one person who's in this. This is everybody. So, um, but, but it, you know, it, it, is, it is something that we have to do, um, continue to do better at. It's something we have to continue to remind people about that, you know, we are out there trying to keep the system as clean and safe as possible, um, understanding that, you know, we need to be there for people. So there will be times where, you know, maybe there are 15 or 20 people on a bus. Um, it, it might feel uncomfortable. And, um, you know, that, you know, people have to make those decisions themselves. Uh, you know, if, it's, if, if, if there's another bus nearby, maybe they can get on that one um, and, uh, and get, them, get themselves some room. But, um, but that, that isn't, generally speaking, the case these days. The, 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 instance, the instances of, of crowded vehicles are, are very few and far between. Well, let's um, take a kind of a broader look at, um, I guess, some of the, the longer-term planning that TTC and governments have had mm. uh, thought about and implemented for, um, for accommodating a growth in the system, a growth in population, a growth in development. I mean, that was all the it was all the topic, all the conversation um, about public transit before the COVID hit. It was it was all about you know expanding the system, and um, it really languished for for many years. But fortunately, um, recently the the province um, you know made the big announcement about. Um, uh, the Ontario line and uh, the Young Young Subway extension and and um, the LRT line extensions as well. Yep. Um, well, now that ridership levels have dropped, uh, particularly for subway riders, and it's probably going to remain that way for at least 
the foreseeable future, even if there's a vaccine, I don't imagine people are all going to jump on right away. Um, yeah. Has this pandemic affected, um, you know, the medium to long term ridership projections and in turn your long term infrastructure projects? Uh, are, are they being reevaluated? No. So they, 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 the very simple answer, no. Uh, the you know the, the, you're absolutely right. The province and the city uh, have worked out a, an arrangement whereby the province will do expansion. The province will fund, uh, build, and own expansion projects like the Ontario Line, like uh, Line Two East, Line One North. Those will be provincial projects. The city will be responsible for state of good repair and maintenance that allows us to keep the capacity that we have and accommodate the growth that these new expansions will bring. None of that has changed. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, 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 you know when, when you look at public transit planning, um, you are not looking at two years out. You're looking at 30 and 40 years out. And that's exactly what those projects um, and the work that we're doing on State of Good Repair to keep the existing system running uh, are, are doing. So no one, uh, there, there has been no indication from either the city through the city building fund, which is getting us $4 billion to do infrastructure work, or the provincial plans to uh, to build Ontario Line or other things, those are continuing. Um, you know, and arguably, you know, if you look at it in a different way, those projects uh, are actually uh, they're economic stimulators, right? This is fundamental, sort of, and you know, an economic theory that you know you, you that's when you invest, right? When the economy is is on a downturn, governments can invest in infrastructure and longer term projects to put people to work. Uh, so there's an economic benefit to that. So, you know, it's been uh, very, very, uh, very, they've been very deliberate about keeping those projects going. Now, you know, our ridership numbers, uh, yes, they will be, um, they, they, you know, 1.7 million was our pre-pandemic daily ridership. They will not be back there, you know, in the, in the short term. There's, there's just no way. Um, but what, you know, it, they, it, will, it will return. And also what's happening, of course, is that the city is growing. You know, Toronto is a city that is, is growing exponentially. We've seen through the pandemic, you know, uh, given what's happening south of the border, uh, that, that Toronto is, is now becoming a far more attractive destination for international, uh, for global companies to invest in. The, the, you know, our, our workforce, our, uh, you know, our talent base, um, the, you know, the way we've managed this pandemic has given, has given a lot of international investors confidence in, in Canada and in Toronto. So any projections that, were, that already existed for Toronto growing, and there were already projections that Toronto was going to grow by you know, millions of people over the next couple of decades, um, they, they may now be amplified. So we're going to have natural growth. Uh, people uh, people are, are, were uh, are and, and we're going to be moving to Toronto. Uh, it is a growing city. It is a growing global city um, region that is, uh, that is going to need higher order public transit than we've had um and and it you know the the good and and the pro and con of this is that it, it may happen very quickly that growth may happen very quickly which really necessitates having a public transit system and public transit infrastructure that can accommodate that growth well uh, so, yeah so so that will i think that that so on the on the capital side those projects are continuing we've had no indication anything is slowing down there mm -hmm. um and on the ridership side it's coming back organically uh, as well as just through the growth
Yeah, and the, the, the reason I'm asking is because there's a, there's a lot of um, discussion right now in industry and amongst planning professionals about, you know, where the trends are moving. Um, office, uh, office usage, tenants and landlords, a question about, you know, the work from home concept is is really grown in popularity. Um, I myself am working from home, and there's a question as to whether people are going to return back to the normal scenario where you're working five days a week in an office and having to deal with the commute. There's there's an appeal now to working from home, and that will uh, in, invariably reduce the number of riders. Um, then the question about living further afield and not necessarily needing to, to live downtown. Um, and so that might change growth patterns. Certainly, it, we're in early days right now. But that's, the, that's one of the reasons for my question is whether... Um, growth patterns may have an impact on, on other future uh, infrastructure projects that uh, TTC may have. Yeah, I mean, so again, I mean, you know, so so you're you're quite right. I mean, there is no question that um, you know the the uh, the the I want to say the advent of working from home, but the the the, the, the expansion of the work from home uh, phenomenon in the last eight months. Has really shown you know businesses that there's a different way that they can do things. Uh, you know I have the same theories about you know those big bank towers downtown. If I'm a small law firm that had say three floors at TD Tower, uh, I only need one floor. What does that mean, right? Like so, what what does all of that mean? I mean for for the TTC, it means ridership, right? But but you know I I think you know ultimately there will still be you know there people will still need to move around. Um, the patterns may change. You know, we've seen throughout this um, that our, we don't have those, those peaks and valleys of morning and afternoon rush hour anymore. The ridership is sort of flat throughout the day. And I think that's where we, where we could expect to th- see things going. So, you know, maybe people are working half days or, you know, on some days people are going into the office and on the other days the other group of people are going to the office. And then you just have that growth anyway. So, you know, your, 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 your ridership, you know, for, from a transit perspective, you know, ridership, Still has the potential to grow, not not just return, but to grow. So, um, you know, I, I think it, it really requires the foresight um, to to stick with the capital work that that's being undertaken, just to make sure that you know, as as this as the city region grows and as people you know become reliant on public transit again, um, that that there's enough there for them and that it's running well. So how would so then what are I, I guess I, as we kind of wrap this up what are the biggest challenges now facing the TTC um, uh, that from your perspective and from from your CEO's perspective? I mean you know really really for us I mean the the, the bigger the biggest challenges we face right now are just addressing the service demand. Um, so so you know I, I guess to look at it a couple of ways you know our immediate concerns are, and 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 focus. Um, uh, are, are, are on ridership and making sure that we're delivering service, doing it safely uh, for, for our um, employees and, uh, and for our customers. So, um, th- you know, that's the first thing. Um, but, but looking down the road, I mean, you know, we, we just, we, you know, we, d- we just don't have the crystal ball. You know, we just, we, we you know, we, we, can, we can theorize, and I think it's a sound theory, that ridership will return and we need to be ready when it does. Um, but, uh, you know, when that happens, we, we don't know. So, um, I think, you know, for us, for us, our, our, you know, our media concerns would be around, um, you know, for example, the kind of budgetary pressures that we would face, um, you know, and how, how do, how does that get made up? How does the, how does the city address our subsidy 
beyond, you know, just increasing fares or property taxes? Like, is, is there some kind of service trade-off that needs to happen? We don't know. Um, you know, we, we you know, we, our, our feeling is that, that would be a step backward, right? We've, you know, the TTC was in a, in a death spiral, you know, a couple of decades ago, you know, in the 90s, we were in this sort of death spiral where we had uh, service cuts that cut ridership that necessitated fur- further service cuts that further impacted ridership. And it became this self-fulfilling prophecy. We've we've gotten out of that now. We, we you know the, the people people are are using the TTC. They rely on us. We know all of that, um, and and we want to continue that trend. We want to continue growth. You know, our our focus in the last few years has been on on ridership growth, and we've been quite successful at it. Um, and and it would be it would be a shame to sort of you know put all of that good work to uh, to the wayside, um, and you know have have less uh, frequent service and more crowded service. Nobody wants that. Let me let me find uh, finish off with one more question on on a positive note. Um, do you think that in a kind of a contorted way that the pandemic has had a positive impact for the TTC, particularly since there are no longer crowds in the subways? Is is this an opportunity for for you guys to to catch up and and, and address some of the problems that you experienced before, um, or other are there other silver linings that you want to highlight? Uh, well, I, I mean, it, it's a very, it's a, it's a very silver-ish lining, if, if anything. Um, the, a couple of things that, that have happened during the pandemic. Uh, one is that, you know, given, uh, given our lighter passenger loads, given that there's uh, less traffic on the roads, uh, our service is running incredibly well. So if you've been taking the TTC in the last eight months, notwithstanding that there are, you know, there have been some crowding uh, on the buses, um, but generally speaking, if uh, if you if you have had um, if you've if you've taken transit and particularly if subway and streetcar, you've probably had the best TTC service in a long time. <laughs> um, but but that that's not that's not necessarily a good thing, you know. Uh, it's, it's only because there are fewer people on and fewer and, and, and less traffic. Uh, we don't we don't want it to be like that forever. We want to be, deliver good service, but we want there to be people on the on the system as well. Um, the other thing that we've we have been able to do so that that's not something we've been able to do. It's just it's just a fact. The thing that we have been able to do is uh, some of our capital work. Um, so typically, you know, we would uh, you know they're not popular. But we would shut down subways on weekends. Um, to 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 uh, to do a lot of work uh, on maintenance and state of good repair, so track replacement, tunnel rep- tunnel liner replacement, um, you know, all of that good stuff. So we've been able to uh, to ad- advance some of that work um, by increasing the number of closures and and early early night closures that we've done. Um, we've got a planned ten uh, day. Uh, closure of line one between Shepherd and Finch um, in early December for two weeks, uh, or sorry, for 10 days. Um, and, and that would be for a, a, a major asbestos removal program. Um, and, and if we do that, it shaves uh, about a year's worth of work off in 10 days. So that's the good news, right? So the, the, we have been very deliberate in this, and I know the city has as well in terms of, you know, road work projects, for example, with with less traffic on the roads. Um, you know, it's a good time to experiment with bike lanes and those sorts of things. So, you know, we're very much aware of, of where the opportunities are, and we've been trying to capitalize on them for sure. Very interesting. Um, yeah. So many things to think about, so many challenges, clearly some opportunities. I know that for our listeners uh, and everyone in the industry, uh, all eyes are on public transit. And and, uh, because, you know, you really are uh, the foundation to uh, a successful growing uh, metropolis like Toronto. 
we really uh, <laughs> clearly you guys are doing everything you can uh, and getting the support you need and so uh, you know keep going and um, we wish you all the best as, as we, we, we hopefully reach that recovery yeah well thank you it's good to know I mean I, I think you're right I think you know public transit really is such an essential part and, and you know in Toronto now buildings are being built without parking for cars because they expect that people will use public transit more and so that's what we want to we want to be there for them when they do hmm. okay uh, Stuart really appreciate your time thanks again my pleasure thank you okay okay